All right, there are times that we have tragedy come our way. There are times that we're not always prepared for tragedies in our life. And the reality is there are ways that not only can you prepare, by the way, that's what we've been dealing with in our daily episodes all week long. But today, we're going to have an interview and talk to someone who not only did he have tragedy in his life, but he's actually someone that I look to model after as someone who took tragedy and didn't look at it as something to be crying about, but actually looked at it as an opportunity for the gospel. Welcome to The Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, so we have a guest with us this week. If you're familiar with Striving Fraternity and you've followed us for any length of time, you will know who this brother is from four years ago. Four years ago, he had a fire in his home. It was the Sunday before Christmas. Um, And one of the things that always amazed me was the fact, the testimony actually, and, and you see it in the journalist that did a report about the fire, about the fact that here's our brother Joe Conkle sitting in his pajamas outside of his burning house, and he was more concerned with sharing the gospel with people. So, Joe, welcome to the Rap Report. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. Now, you and I, well, you and I, we have a friendship that goes back many years. You live out in Ohio. You do a lot of evangelism out there, so that kind of is a thing that you and I have in common. We've gone to some Super Bowl outreaches together that are hosted by Sports Fan Outreach International. Bill Adams runs that. Um, which, by the way, you you had you found a great trick for the Super Bowl, didn't you? I- indirectly in handing out tracks when you were really cold one year, right? <laughs> you have to refresh my memory. Well, remember when you were really cold and Caleb bought you a jacket? Oh, yeah, that was at San Francisco, yeah, the, the 50, Super Bowl 50. Yeah, he he, uh, he got me, a, uh, he bought me a nice jacket, and uh, people thought I was part of the event staff and kept asking me questions, and I would try to direct them to the proper place to go, and I would hand them a track, and they would just take it, you know. Uh, so I, I was able to get rid of a lot of tracks because they thought I was part of the events. <laughs> <laughs> where they usually don't take our tracks at those events. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so and let's, also, let's start New Orleans. New Orleans, New Orleans was the same way. I mean, I, I kept, uh, I, I stand in there at a choke point and I kept, I was trying to pass out tracks and nobody taking it. And I just started to hold them up and say Superdome and everybody, people were reaching around me to grab one. So, <laughs> Well, let's start. Let, let's have folks who may not know who you are. First, let's give a little bit of background of, of who you are. And, um, and then I, I want to focus the, the sh- most of the show afterwards about what happened to you four years ago, what's happened since then, uh, be a good update for folks. But first off, you, you are an evangelist. You do pretty much now kind of full time. Talk about your ministry where God has you, what your background is. Well, I'm a, I'm a, my background was a retired correction officer, uh, and um, as as far as street evangelism, I I do regular courthouse evangelism here in 
our local town. Uh, and I get to share the gospel with a lot of people, pass out a lot of tracts. And I set up a prayer stand and gives me an opportunity. I always ask people if uh, they need prayer for anything. And, and uh, you know, going into a courthouse uh, where they're going to stand before a judge, uh, yeah, a lot of people, uh, they request prayer. And then it gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, and the, uh, I've, go ahead. The prayer stand. Let's talk about that for a moment, because I know it is not a lot of folks may. That's a great witnessing opportunity. Describe what the prayer stand is and describe how that helps in sharing the gospel. Well, I, I think in a situation where at the courthouse, it's a non-confrontational type of uh, thing to um, to, to start to share the gospel with someone because you're, you it's it's it stands up it's skinny and it and it's a it's a tripod stand, in the middle is a carousel that uh, you have different tracks in and uh, on the top of the pole it says prayer, so people know you know people's been seeing me that this uh, is going on my sixth year uh, with uh, doing the prayer stand there, so the you know people get to know who I am. Um, get to pray with uh, even some of the staff that work in there. I've had people ask me to pray for them as they're coming to work because uh, I get out there before everybody gets in and as they're coming in. Uh, and I, and I've, I've got to pray with uh, a lot of different people out there. Um, but it's, it's non-confrontational and you, um, you know, everyone uh, would like prayer when they're going to stand before a judge. And then we've got a custom track that we made that has the two judges that they stand in front of. And, and on one side, it uh, talks about court etiquette and it shows a picture of the judges that you'll be standing in front of. And then the backside, it talks about the ultimate judge that you'll have to stand in front of. And then, and the prayer stand is something that, I mean, the thing I love about that and the guy who had created it, uh, Tom Kaiser uh, used to he he used to be in New York. He's now in, out in your area, and we used to go out to Union Square every week with it. And you, if you're interested, you could you, folks that are listening could check it out at go go forth all dot org. I'll put a link in the show notes, and that's where his website where he's got the prayer stands. And the thing that will always amaze me, I mean, it's something he developed where you can carry it on your back and just walk over to where you're going to go. It is heavy, but he designed it to be able to be withstand the wind and the rain. All your tracks stay dry because they're in that carousel is waterproof. He really put a lot into it in thinking through. And it was always amazing as I would stand up and do open air preaching and I'd be on the box. I'd look over where he is and he would just have person after person just walking up, asking for prayer. He'd have opportunities to share the gospel with them. He, he listened to what their prayers were. He prayed for their prayers. He prayed for their salvation after explaining the gospel hand them a gospel tract, but he would have, he was always talking to someone with that stand. And it's, it really was an interesting thing because it gets people to come to you versus you having to go to them. And that's why I, I love the prayer stands. Now you're still doing the, the Super Bowl outreaches. I'm not doing this year. Um, I've got a situation with my other knee I'm dealing with. So, um, as you know, I, I'm a retired correction officer, and I uh, medically retired because I uh, I uh, was injured in the line of duty with my knee, and now it's been forcing me to work with my other knee, and now 
I've been having trouble with it, trying to get into a doctor, but I'm not going to be able to get in until after the first of the year to see what's wrong with it. But, you know, um, the, that ministry requires a lot of walking, a lot of standing, a lot of, and uh, so I'm going to have to get this checked out first before that. Yeah, well, and, and we'll get into why your knee may be hurting because you've been pretty busy doing something that we're going to get to. But let's, let's talk about four years ago. Uh, we know those of us at Striving Fraternity, we, you know, really, we heard about what happened four years ago. We uh, put a GoFundMe and tried to get you some support with this. But let's, let's first start what happened four years ago. For folks who don't know, bring them up to speed with what happened that day. Because the thing that I really want to focus on is the fact that your attitude that day has always been amazing to me. It's it's something that I've always looked to and said, if if something like this ever happens, I want to be like Joe Conkle. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope that this never happens, but I've always been impressed with you and how you handled yourself. Even when I read the, that article that was written up, even the journalist couldn't believe your attitude. And so talk us through what happened four years ago. Well, I usually get up early in the morning uh, before sunrise, um, and I think I was up a little bit before 6 a.m. Um, you know, you you read the Bible and you pray, uh, and uh, it, it was it was around close to eight o'clock, eight a.m. at this time, and I was going to go in, and at the time I was making homemade bread, you know, so, and I was I had a mill would grind my own grain, so I mean I was really into this. And uh, I was getting ready to make some bread, and then I heard uh, a popping sound. Uh, and then I just continued to go, and I heard it again. And I turned around behind me, and I had a, an exhaust stack. We had remodeled our kitchen, so we had an exhaust stack that came down, stainless steel that came down from the ceiling. And uh, I saw smoke coming out of it. So I kind of took the filters out and looked up there, and couldn't see anything it was just smoke and I so I went back and at the time my wife and my daughter was there that was the only ones that were there uh, and I told them I woke them up and I said hey there there might be a fire in the exhaust uh, stack you might want to come out um, you might want to get up and then I walk so I leave them walk to the garage and open the door and it's an inferno, right? And then I just absolutely panicked. I've never mentally prepared for fire, and it was panic. So I was um, screaming, you know, out of the house. I mean, I was screaming so bad I lost my voice, uh, and that's never I've never lost my voice before. Uh, so we they gathered up. My wife, in her wisdom, grabbed the the animal, one of the animals. And uh, we had to duck going out the door because the fire was coming out of the eaves of the house. So, um, and within minutes, it's, the house was engulfed in flames. And I'm in a, a you know, a pair of shorts, uh, uh, Crocs with a pair of socks on, and a, a Carhartt hoodie. And that's all I had on on. Uh, and so we we got outside, and uh, like I said, it was it took seemed to take forever for the fire department to get there. Um, 
they finally they finally arrived to put the fire out. Uh, we're standing over at the neighbor's house as we're watching. They're putting this out, and he says, "Well, you won't have to worry about where you're going to stay." And I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, you can stay in my dad's house." Now his dad had died two years prior to that, and uh, the house was two doors down from where I live, so it was um, on the same side of the street. And so here, four hours after the fire, you know, he we're inside this house and nicer than the one I had. Uh, the electrics on, the gas is on, the cables on. Uh, four hours after that, the refrigerator and cupboards were full. Uh, beds were made so that there was there were three beds in there, so there was enough you know places for us to sleep. Well, we didn't have to buy pillows. Everything was there, uh, towels, I, you know, just, you know, except for personal items and, uh, you know, bath soap and, and things like this, deodorant, these things were given to us. Well, even uh, more than that, what was also given, what also was given was, this was the, the Sunday before Christmas, you even had all the Christmas presents, <laughs> not the ones you bought, obviously, replaced, but I, I remember there being people that brought Christmas presents over for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we we had we had uh, we had Christmas presents. All of it was lost. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was a it was a they they said it was a total loss. There were some items that we were able to salvage. Um, probably the thing that that one of the things that got me the most was um, my grandmother uh, gave me my grandfather's Gibson banjo. Okay. She, she gave it to me because she knew I'd never sell it. Okay. Uh, and you know, so, you know, my grandpa loved this. My dad played it. My uncle played it. Uh, and, uh, my dad died before my grandmother. So my grandmother had given it to me and I had that in a closet and that was the only closet that had not uh, the had not had fire damage from uh, the fire burnt from the top down. Wow, I didn't know so, that. Uh, it, it did not burn to that. So uh, the fire department, when they actually went in and started putting out fire, they started bringing stuff out, and they brought out this banjo. And then that was that was somewhat emotional. You know, it's only it's only something, but it meant so much to my grandfather. Uh, you know, to my dad. Uh, to my grandmother so it was just kind of one of the things that and and they the the company took it to clean clean it the outside case and all that uh, because it smoke damage but other than that it's it, it was um uh, it was perfect so we're uh i was blessed that's just one of them things that you would never be able to replace yeah yeah um, because of the sentimental value but th talk about because there's two incidences i remember and I want to talk about the first one was the day of the fire, you're outside, people are coming out just to look. I mean, they want to see what's happening. You had reporters that came, the fire department's yeah. there. What were you busy doing? Well, you know, uh, people were, people were talking to me, asking me questions, um, you know, and I was just, uh, you know, thanking God that, that, I was awake, was thanking God that my son wasn't 
in the basement because I don't know how he would have gotten out uh, and was just, uh, you know, I mean, I had gospel tracks um, that I was that I had in my pocket. I was able to pass some of those out. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the, when the reporter came over to the house to talk to us, uh, she was, you know, asking me questions and, and she, she commented that she says, you're, you're really happy. She goes, I don't understand. Why are you so happy? And I said, I, you know, I said, I was, uh, I said, my house was on fire. I just lost everything and I'm standing in a nicer house. I'm warm. You know, I said, we got cupboards that are full and, you know, I said, what is there not to be thankful for? What's there not to be happy about? And I said, you know, um, I said something to the fact that, you know, that God's taken care of me through this tragedy. And, um, you know, so she, she never, she never included that into the, into the report. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. Hmm. You know, but that, that's the amazing thing. I was talking actually about you in my Bible study Wednesday night and what you went through. And, and actually, I was talking about you again this Friday night at Bible study that I teach. And the thing that, it, <clears throat> that always amazed me is it was your perspective. It's the fact that we see in Scripture that those who, who sin much, right, they recognize their sin before holy God. Not that you sin more than others, but the idea of, I think, those of us who properly understand what sin is, we view our sin as so bad that because of that, we love much. The the question that came up Friday night's Bible study was talking about someone bringing up the fact that they were talking to another person and they're talking about the wrath of God. And this person says, no, 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 no. God's not like that. And the reality is, is when you look at the person's life, the person that thinks God's not wrathful has a really, if they're a believer, it's a, it's a really, you know, immature faith that they have because they really don't seem to show that they love God much. But those of us who really understand sin, really understand God's wrath and his justice, it's in light of knowing his wrath and justice that we love him so much that we can, in light of something like you went through losing everything, can be thankful for what God has provided because we recognize we don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve anything. We deserve God's wrath and his justice. And instead, he's given us his mercy. And in light of losing everything in, in a worldly sense, I mean, when your house went up, you, you lost, you know, a lot of your personal possessions were gone, never to be retrieved again. You, you had your car, uh, your Bible, things like this that you can't replace, like all the notes that you put in your Bible right? And these things are just gone. But we can rejoice because we know God has still, is still active in our lives. And like you had said, he's, he's still blessing you. He's still, he's giving you a bigger home to temporarily, but a bigger, nicer home with a fully stocked fridge within a day. People were, were giving an outpouring of care and love for you. And yeah, the community was wonderful. The community uh, the community came together. They brought us food, blankets, 
clothes. Um, you know, I mean, just we had we had no need for anything. You know, and and they even gave us gift cards. I mean, we were we were able to uh, pay for Christmas with gift cards. Um, I mean, it was it was just absolutely amazed at at God's um, uh, care, God's you know care for me. And it was uh, and and through the whole thing, there wasn't like I, I never in my mind questioned God. I never thought. You know why would God allow this to happen? It was just like, you know, it, it was just like there was a a peace about it. And it's hard to explain, but I was at peace uh, with the whole situation. I mean, now there was anxiety. I mean, when you uh, for a few days after the fire, I mean, it's I mean you have a little post traumatic stress, so that you struggle with because fire is the the noise. It's very fearful. Um, and so, um, every night I'd hear a popping noise in the house and I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking I hear this popping noise and I'm walking all around the house looking this, this happened for a few days, but, uh, but, but literally just, um, there was never one time I was worried about what's going to happen. What, how are we going to do? What's, uh, how are we going to get another house? How's all this going to work out? And I just told, you know, my wife, she was, um, you know, she was a little worried. I told her, I said, listen, you know, God will take care of us. I'm, I'm not concerned with it. And, uh, I, you know, I can't even begin to tell you, um, I mean, to fully explain how God has um, provided through this whole thing. I mean, one of the desires of my heart was, is I told my wife that I, we really needed to focus on paying off the mortgage so we could spend more on evangelism, you know, and, and not just, you know, myself to, for evangelism, but also, um, to support other brothers in evangelism. You know, I, there are several brothers that I, that I support, uh, financially because, uh, you know, every little bit helps. So I'm just one of many pieces in there of people that can, that can help. And if, I, and if I've got the money, if I, you know, then why not give it to help support ministry? So, um, that's one thing I've done, but I had speak to, spoke to my wife and told her, I so said, we really need to focus on paying off our mortgage. Well, well the house burns down. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so we're going through the process of, well, uh, to rebuild the house, we were going to rebuild. I thought to myself, uh, well, we, we have to rebuild there because the community had been so helpful to us. But my wife says, well, let's, let's think about getting some other place. Let's move in somewhere else. So, okay. So, uh, you know, I reluctantly, you know, gave in to her <laughs> and, uh, we found a house and bought it, and then at the, with the settlement of from personal property, the house, and all that, um, well, with the, with the with the property that burned up, I have to pay the mortgage off with this money. So I have to pay the mortgage off, so the property is mine, free and clear. So I got a hole in the ground, basically. You know, up, up, I got a, a, a burn up roll home. Well, I end up. Um, given that to another Christian, I just gave him the property if he was going to build a home on it. 
uh, and then we uh, were able to purchase a house. We got a good price on this house in in, uh, in a town 15 minutes uh, uh, from where we were, right minutes from where Brenda would work. So I'm retired. So minutes from where she's at, and it was nicer than the one we had, and we were able to pay it off in cash. Not only that, but we were able to furnish it, you know, uh, in cash too. So um, that was a that was a huge blessing right there. So now the desire of my heart was to pay off my mortgage. So we had money to spend on evangelism. Well, uh, two things happened in there. Number one, uh, I was able to buy this house and be mortgage free. All right, so no longer a mortgage plus. My church uh, ordained me as an evangelist, and they support my ministry. They support uh, uh, all my efforts, what I do. I just uh, They reimburse me. Uh, my church gives me a budget of $6,000 a year, which is uh, very generous. And so I'm able to um, do a lot with that. And, and I would I would encourage other churches to think about that, is if you have Christians in your church who do evangelism not that they go out for an hour or two on the weekend or something but guys like joe who are going out regularly going to different places think about maybe setting some budget aside so to support those evangelists within the church to be doing that now joe you and i are doing this show because as you well know someone in my church four years after your incident but very again very close to christmas went through a very similar thing uh, we have two members of our church, uh, Kurt and Annie, who have woke up at one in the morning. So this is unlike you, and you and I were talking about this. They woke up <clears throat> to hearing the fire alarm go off. So that's even scarier. And yeah. just having to go through that. And, and what ended up happening in their house is the fire department came, put the fire out, so they thought. But what ended up happening is some of the embers actually started smoldering in the attic and after the fire department left the house caught fire a second time in the attic and the fire department had to come back and put it out and the pictures are, are just devastating i remember the pictures after your your house and uh, you know i am going to put in the show notes a link to the gofundme account for kurt nanny i know what i what i encourage is for christians you know joe being a, a very mature Christian for, for years, was prepared for tragedy. He saw things in light of what God has done for him in his life. Kurt and Annie are newer believers, and this is a, a, a real test of their faith. I'm asking for the church, universal church, to stand up and help them out, to help this couple as they're going through what Joe went through four years ago. It's devastating for them. And, and they've gone through a lot. I mean, Annie has some health issues. So this has been like trial after trial after trial. Maybe some of you can identify with that. You know, you, you profess faith in Christ and all of a sudden it seems like everything in your world turns against you. That's sort of what their, their life has been. And it, it's really been something where we get to see them grow. But if you can, I know it's the Christmas season and you're buying gifts for everyone else, but Here's a couple who just lost their entire house. Um, he called me, or I called him actually to see how he's doing, and he told me, 
the the one thing he was upset with is they lost their Bibles. He's I said, is there anything I can get you? He's like, can you get us replacement Bibles? I had the MacArthur Study Bible, and you know Annie had the the ESV Study Bible, and we we just they they can't even think of buying new Bibles now. They have so many things they have to do, but they they're like go to church and they don't have a Bible now. That's the mindset that that they're having. And these are newer Christians. I encourage you to go to the show notes and think about clicking that link to support them in this way. This is where the church needs to come together and do this. And and I want to talk about some things that happened, Joe, after a commercial. I want to talk about some things that happened during the fire. There were some ways you had opportunities to share the gospel through this. Uh, So right after this announcement from a supporting podcast, take a listen to this. Justification. This theological term is legal in nature, but to understand it, we must first understand our legal predicament. Because we have sinned against God, i.e. broken his law and thought word and deed, we are guilty in his court and must be punished as lawbreakers. You see, since we have sinned against an infinitely holy God, we deserve an infinite punishment. Enter justification. This is the one-time event when God declares the lawbreaker, us, righteous in his court. It's been said that to be justified means that God sees me just if I'd never sinned. This is more appropriately stated, God sees me just if I'd been Jesus. See, Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died and was resurrected on the third day. In this, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law and paid the fine for our law-breaking. If we repent and believe in him, God credits his righteousness to our account. Only then are we seen just if I'd been Jesus. This has been another Growing Moment with Robert Houghton. For more information, visit growthproject.org. That's a great view on things, isn't it, Joe? I mean, that's that's exactly the view that, that brings us through trials like this when we recognize justification, and that's from uh, the Growth Project radio podcast. But Robert's got a great point. It's not that just as if we never sinned, but it's just as if we were Jesus. And it's that justification, I think, that can bring us through trials like this. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Well, like I said, there was a, there's a piece about the whole thing that's hard to explain. Um, you know, we have a, you know, we trust God, but you know, it's, it's, it's when it's when the rubber hits the road, you know, it's like, uh, all right. You can always say, well, we'll trust God uh, if something happens, but when it, when you're in it and then to, you can say, but then to say to trust God, but then, to have this peace about it, um, that's what's hard for me to put my finger on, uh, how to explain that. It was just, I had no no fear, no worry, no doubt, other than, like I said, I had trouble sleeping. So when your subconscious was, uh, uh, when you were unconscious sleeping, you know, it, it kind of would take over. But, uh, yeah, there was just a absolute peace about it that I can't. I can't. I, it's supernatural. That's now, all I can say. Now let's talk about. Th- there was something that happened. I've I, I, when you told me this account, I, I've just always, I've always got a chuckle out of it. But there was a time you're living up the street from the ha- your old house that burned down, 
And there was an account where you saw some guys with some air conditioning units. Tell, tell the audience that account what happened. <laughs> well, like I said, I was two doors down. So um, I, I just happened to look, uh, be uh, out in the backyard and saw somebody walking around the property. Uh, two guys. But I saw one guy standing there and the other one walking around. So I walk over and I said, uh, hey, guys, what's going on? And they said, well, we're from this local home improvement company. He said, uh, you know, there's, uh, they want us to come here and clean this stuff up around uh, the property over here. And then he hollers at the guy, you know, oh, take care of this. And not acting like he's a supervisor. And he said, I said, well, uh, who told you to come on here? He said, well, the owner of the house. I said, oh. And, uh, and I said, uh, do you have a business card? And he said, he didn't have one. So, um, so I let him go on for a little bit. And I said, listen, I said, I'm going to be straight up with you. I said, I'm, uh, I'm the owner of this house. And he <laughs> said, uh, uh, and I didn't call anybody. And then I had to look over and I saw the air conditioning unit was flopped over on its side. So it had been cut loose and it's flopped over. Um, and I, they said, um, and I said, just, um, you know, just admit you're lying. I says, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody, but just, uh, um, you know, just take off, uh, you know, nothing will happen. Uh, and then I explained to him, I said, you know, I mean, what you're trying to do is, uh, you're stealing. I said, that would be a thief because I said, this is my stuff. And, um, and then I went into a gospel presentation with him and, um, the guy I gave, I didn't have any tracks on me at the time. And then, uh, he said, well, I'm sorry. He said, he said, I'm sorry. He said, won't see you again. And he left. Okay. A couple of nights later, I, uh, I happened to, I'm coming back from, um, uh, from somewhere and I see my air conditioner now is out to the street. So I go, I go back to the house. I said, well, I'm going to get my truck and go over there and I'll put it in my truck. So I went over there and picked it up and put it in my truck. And then as, as I'm sitting there putting it in the truck, I see these two guys drive past me in a pickup truck, <laughs> you know, a little S10 pickup truck. And so I'm sitting there in the road. I wait for them to come back around. So they came back around. I said, I said, I thought I told you guys to, that, you know, to, that this was mine and, and don't come back here and anymore. And they said, well, we saw it sitting here on the edge of the road and we thought we would, uh, you thought you didn't want it anymore. And I <laughs> says, no, I said, uh, I said, I said, Oh, wait a minute. I said, you, I said, no, you know, I've talked to you before about not lying to me, telling me the truth. I said, <laughs> I, I said, I'm looking here in the road and I can see glass and insulation. So uh, you tried to put this in the back of your car, didn't you? And it fell out of the back in the street and you moved it back over. You could see where it was scraped on the road. And they said, yeah, that, that happened. And I said, well, listen, I said, um, you clean this stuff up, clean this glass up out the street and all that. And I said, and I'll let you have this air conditioning unit. They go, oh, oh, really? Let me have it. And I said, yeah. I said, listen, I said, I'm, I'm extending grace to you. I said, like I explained to you, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to let you have this. Right. And, um, went and just shared a little bit more of the gospel. And at this time I had 
gospel tracks on me. So I gave them a couple of man cards and uh, I gave them one of my business cards. And I said, listen, I said, you want to sit down, you want to read the Bible, you want to talk. And the guy it was real apologetic. And, um, and they said, yeah, they would, uh, they would get back when they said, this is in, you know, this is like, um, this is probably uh, January, maybe at the time in February. And so I usually start my street ministry in uh, April and in March, depending on when the weather is, I get back out there regular every day or not every day, twice a day or twice, twice a week. And, um, so, but later on that day, after I let them have it and they took it, uh, sheriff comes to the house. Sheriff asked me, he says, uh, if I, he asked me the story, if I did that. And I said, yeah, they explained it to him. He said, yeah, that's exactly what he said. And then he explained to me that he, they didn't know who the one guy was, but the main guy that acted like he was the leader said he's a heroin addict. And uh, he said, we were f- very familiar with him. So here I'm, I'm feeling guilty now that they probably used this to, you know, to buy heroin. Uh, it was months later and I saw the man at, uh, he come up to me, I'm doing the street evangelism at the court. He come up to me. I got a picture taken with him. He said, he was, uh, he said, he's been clean. He said, he's going to church. Uh, he said, he's, uh, he's gave his life to the Lord. Uh, but I haven't seen him at the courthouse, so I haven't seen him. So I don't know how he's doing, but he still has my business card, but, uh, um, and he looked healthier. So when I saw him before, he looked kind of sickly. When I saw him this time and he said, he's, you know, turned his life around and, uh, he looked much healthier. So I was, uh, praise God that, uh, that hopefully this, uh, man will endure to the end. And, you know, and that's just a testimony to you. I mean, this is why I'm always amazed with where your walk is with Christ. The, the fact that so many of us, if someone's stealing from us, I mean, our pride would be like, you're not stealing from me. I'm going to call the cops on you. And, and actually, I mean, there, there was an incident with, I think if I remember correctly, with the, where the, the, the cops were involved because the truck that he had wasn't really his. It was from a dealership and the, and the manager, if I remember correctly, followed him. But yeah, this, yeah, they borrowed it from a dealership to test drive it. And the dealer knew something was up and he followed him. So that's how the police got involved. The police was kind of watching them and they took it to a certain place. Uh, and then that's where the police got on them. And the police asked them the story. The sheriff was a, it was a county sheriff. And the county sheriff came to my house and asked me the story. And I explained it to him. He said, that's exactly what he said. And he stuck his hand out. He said, I want to shake your hand. And, uh, and I said, okay. He said, uh, he says, uh, not, not many men would, uh, uh, I forget how he said it. He said, it's not, um, not many men would respond that way. And I told him, uh, I said something to the fact that I've been forgiven, uh, for much and I can, it's easy for me to forgive others for, for things that they do. So, and that's, that right there is the whole point that amazed me. And this is why I did a whole week of my daily podcast about the dealing with tragedy, preparing for it, because we don't prepare for tragedy. And when it comes, many people are caught off guard, but I'm, 
I am always so encouraged by you that when I, when, when I think about how many people, you, you lost your house to a house fire, and how many people heard the gospel <laughs> because you lost your house. I mean, that, it blows me away that there are people who will be in heaven for eternity because you lost your house to a fire. And, and that's not a perspective many of us, and I, I can only wish that I can have that perspective. I don't know what my perspective would be, you know, until I'm in a situation like that. I hope never to be, but I can only wish to be like you in a situation like that, that so many people got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because your house burned to the ground. I I remember, and I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I was in, in, I understand what you mean about opening that door and seeing the inferno of flames um, you, you know that I grew up in a, in a well-to-do family. Uh, my father had a, you know, was a, he was a professional captain on, on his own yacht, and it burned to the water in probably about 20 minutes. We were aboard. I remember I would, just went into the, the berth to take a nap, and my brother was at the helm, and my dad had seen black smoke, and he went down to check it out. And I remember seeing him come down, and he opened the engine room door, which was right in view from where I was. And it was just, I mean, when he opened the door, just smoke poured out. And it was just all flames. And he just, he sealed that door immediately, ran to the back of the ship to where my sister was sleeping. She was the only one that was back there. Woke her up, dragged her out, like, like your wife, my dad basically, the, we had a dog, a little miniature collie that didn't like men, and he didn't like my dad. And so, what my dad had to do was actually close. He chased the dog outside, and then closed all the doors so the dog couldn't get back into the the boat. <laughs> had to grab the dog and throw it overboard. But we all went overboard in about twenty minutes. That's probably all it took for that large ship to just burn down to the, the waterline. And I was a brand new Christian at that point. I, I was, I had gotten saved uh, that, that summer. I got saved in July 21st and this is August. And I'll tell you when, when I saw the flames and my father turned and said, get overboard. I, at that time, I had thought nothing but for myself. I thought of, self-preservation. I didn't think of others and I was just like, I just thought of self. I look at you and say, you know, if, if that happened again, would I act more like you? Because you were, you were walking with the Lord much longer at that point. And that's the thing. I think that when we have a, a proper view of who God is and these tragedies happen, we can deal with them. We, we have an outlook like you. I mean, I am just always amazed how many people heard the gospel because your house burned down. I mean, nobody heard the gospel because I was on a, a boat fire. I mean, not even my family, but thing in my family didn't know I was a Christian for two more years. That's how brave I was. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, that's an important thing to think about. And the fact that your heart was for the ministry of evangelism and sharing with others, paying off the mortgage, 
that is something that I think many can, can learn from. And there's many that I know, and you know, that a lot of folks had helped you out. And with that, I hope that a lot of yes. folks, let, let me, let me ask you this, and this may, I don't want to get too personal for you. So if, if you don't want to, I can edit this out. But Kurt and Annie are going through this right now. They're dealing with this. How much was it when we did that GoFundMe for you and we, people that helped you out financially, how much did that impact you? Uh, yeah, well, I was able to buy uh, a car with it. The, um, it was about $6,500 altogether uh, that, was, that was raised. And it was, um, see, the, I guess the, the thing in it, they, the insurance company, when, when they settled for my car, uh, they settled for less than trade-in value. And, you know, I explained to them, I said, well, I mean, that's, I, I can't, I can't replace it with, I said, I can't even replace the worst shape car of the same one for what you're giving me. And so I, I, I told my wife, I said, well, I said, you know, I said, well, well, you know, they, and, and I tried to argue with, they wouldn't give me. So I said, well, we won't, we won't worry about it. And then here you had, uh, you know, so we're looking for another car and this GoFundMe came up to like $6,500 and it's exactly the amount that I paid for the other car that I got. And it's, and, um, and then I, we only had that one for what, six months. <laughs> then I got in an accident, got rear ended. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's another story. That's another but anyways, story. Um, yeah, that's another story. That's another story where God take care of me. But, uh, um, it, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the, People were were very kind and very gracious, and and uh, you know it was it was emotionally overwhelming uh, the outpouring of generosity from people uh, that to this day I just you know I like uh, like when I see you you know I think about uh, you know the the fact that that you was so kind enough to share that on your show and then all the people that stepped forward and I tried to thank everyone. It was, you know, everything was coming so fast and it was hard to stay organized. And I uh, hope I didn't miss anyone, but if I had, uh, I'd take the opportunity right now to genuinely thank everyone that's, that stepped up and helped us financially. It was, uh, it was, um, a much needed blessing in a time where uh, the insurance hasn't paid anything, the insurance, nothing to kick in. So um, it was, it was a, it was a great blessing to, uh, to have that. And um, yeah, just, like I said, it's overwhelming. And, and then, then you realize here, this is God working through other people too, and their generosity. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it kind of chokes me up thinking about it now. And and I and I've meant to make a video for you to show you and everyone the house, but I'm going to do that now because we got another house. 
So. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that before you end. But, but here's the thing. You know, for folks who are listening, I, I want to encourage you, please, go in the show notes. I'll have a link to the GoFundMe for Kurt and Annie um, for the house that burned down in Freehold. Uh, you heard how that impacted Joe's life and his family. I'm going to give you a plea. Now, I'm not going to give you a plea to anything that I haven't done. And Joe, I know you have as well to help donate to them. The money goes right into their bank account to help them out. And like Joe said, they don't get this money from the insurance company for a while. So it goes on credit cards, things like that. This is to help them immediately to get back up to get clothes. They have no clothes. They have, and people are buying things. Our church is trying to, to help them out. And I encourage you to consider going out to the GoFundMe and seeing what you can do to help them out. Joe, after this commercial, I would like to play a game that I know you will enjoy because you know what this game is, our spiritual transition game. So right after this commercial. Would you consider donating to Striving for Eternity? This ministry is one that tries to reach out to some of those smaller churches that most people, most speakers want to avoid. But by our monthly donors, allows us to get into small churches and provide for them the seminars and conferences that usually only larger churches can do. We can do that because we have monthly supporters who on a regular basis support us so we could support others. Would you consider being one of our monthly supporters today? You can go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and set up for a monthly donation today. Your donation helps us be able to spread the gospel around the world, to be able to disciple others, and to provide resources for churches and people who are struggling to grow deeper in God's Word. Consider donating today at strivingforeternity.org slash donate. And we thank you very much for your consideration. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 2911 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. All right, and now it is time for a game. It's time now to start the spiritual transition game. Now, Joe, I know you are familiar with this game because we play them at our conferences that we host, and you have been to many of them, both in Ohio and you even drive out to Jersey for them. So I don't need to explain the game to you, but I do need to explain it to maybe some new listeners. The way we play this game and the purpose of this game. The way he plays game is Joe is going to give me something, and I'm going to have to transition from whatever he gives me to the gospel. I don't have any idea what he's going to give me, and this will not be edited out. Therefore, if there's long pauses of silence, it means I'm stumped. And so um, we purposely won't edit that out. And the other thing about this game, why do we play it? It's very simple. Joe, you are an evangelist. You love to evangelize, but you and I both know that one of the more difficult things to do when starting conversations is to swing from the natural world to the spiritual. Once we get in the spiritual realm, we're, we feel right at home. We know the Bible. We can talk to that. 
but it's that transition. And this is a game we play so that you can practice the transition because there is a way to transition from the natural world to the spiritual. It just takes really just thinking over whatever the, the topic of discussion is, talking through that, and finding a nice transition to, in, in a way where people don't even realize, oh, oh, well, now we're talking religion. We want to be able to do that so that the conversation, and that's what it should be, a conversation, not a presentation, that the conversation is very natural. And so Joe is going to give me something. I don't know what it is, and I'm going to have to transition to the gospel, and I'm scared because Joe <laughs> probably knows this is coming, and it has something hard for me, I'm sure. It won't be as hard as Matt Slick gave me, I'm sure, but he gave me big words that I don't even know what they mean. So, Joe, what do I have to transition to the gospel from today? Well, I, I'll try to uh, not make it a sports team. Because uh, <laughs> you know that I lot. am so into sports. I'll give you a laugh. I'll tell you how into sports I am. Uh, it was recently Thanksgiving, and we went to, to dinner. And my brother's got this huge hawking ring. It is the Washington Capitals. They were championship ring you know and i'm looking at him going and he actually took me to a washington capitals hockey game and i'm going who are they again <laughs> yeah i'm really into sports i'm just totally into it well how about corrugated metal say that again corrugated metal what is okay what is corrugated metal <laughs> you do so you did give me something I did. you are trying to be like matt slick i knew it um it, it is uh it is like a roofing material that they put on top of uh like barns or something like that it is uh uh it's metal sheeting that's wavy hmm. it has waves in it you know well, I'll tell you, I mean, just the fact that you have to get up on a roof. Now, here's the an interesting thing of how perspectives change as we get older and, and, and life changes. I used to be a race climber. And so a race climber is someone that, that does mountain climbing, but you're doing it in a race. And I didn't mind hanging off a cliff when I was like 20 years old. I thought it was kind of cool. My 10-year anniversary my wife and i went to alaska and i got an opportunity to do glacier climbing now i don't know if you've done any kind of mountain climbing but glacier climbing is very different you have to use axe picks and it's just it's very different i've always wanted to do it and i was up on a glacier probably about 30 feet in the air and suddenly had a fear of heights and i've never had the fear of heights before but, you know, there's a reason I had a fear of heights. What was going through my mind as, I'm, as I was on that mountain, what was going through my mind and what I was thinking about was the fact of I knew how dangerous it was what I was doing. And the time I was going, it was the, the guides kept emphasizing exactly how quick the ice was melting and how careful we had to be. And the thing going through my mind is, if I fall, if I die, which I know is a real possibility because it, it is a dangerous thing to do, and I'm thinking, who walks my daughter down the aisle? 
when she gets married. Um, I didn't have life insurance at that time. What would happen to my wife and my kids if I fall right now? And I actually, it, that change of perspective gave me such a fear for something that I used to get a thrill out of, I now had a fear of. And by the way, for the record, my wife, uh, my wife, my daughter just got married recently, so I was able to walk her down the aisle. So check that off the bucket list. Thank you. I lived long enough to do that, but <laughs> but I I got a real fear that occurred because of the fact that my perspective changed. And and there's an interesting thing that can happen in our lives where something that used to give us a thrill can suddenly give us a fear. I had a second time in my life that things that gave me a thrill suddenly gave me a fear. And I don't know if you ever experienced this in your own life, but I had a point in time where I noticed things that I did that we would call sin, things that we we know are wrong, but I had a thrill out of doing them. I didn't fear them. I didn't, I enjoyed it. And there was a time where I recognized that I was accountable to God. And all of a sudden that thing that it was a thrill suddenly became a fear, not because I was no longer saying, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just fun. It's because I realized I was accountable and there was a consequence. And in that brought a fear. And that fear was, was so overwhelming. I realized I had to do something. Just like the fact that on my glacier climbing after that I still I have not been up I tried climbing up to my roof to clean out the gutters after that trip and I couldn't do it I have now have maybe that fear is gone now that my daughter's married and I have life insurance but that caused a fear that ended up affecting the rest of my life or at least as far as I know but the fear that I had over sin when I realized I was accountable to a holy just wrathful God who is also so loving that he came in, his, in the flesh, he became a man to die on a cross, I suddenly realized I was accountable to him. My Judaism wouldn't have saved me. I realized I was going to have to give an account for the things I did wrong. And suddenly that fear so gripped me, I realized I had to be right with God. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever had that fear. In your case, Joe, I know you have. <laughs> but to others, I don't know if they've had that fear that they realize suddenly they're accountable to God. If you have, then realize that God himself came to earth, died on a cross as a payment of sin, rose from the dead to vindicate that he was who he claimed he was, God Almighty, and that he has the authority to offer the forgiveness of sin so that you, though you've been a criminal in his sight, can be set free and have eternal life. What you have to do is repent Turn from trusting yourself as a good person. Turn from trusting your good works. Turn from your genealogy if you're born Jewish or Catholic or whatever you might think. Turn and trust Jesus Christ and him alone, and you can have eternal life. So that's how I would go from a metal, a roofing metal that I have no knowledge of to the gospel. <laughs> and, and note, I didn't even talk about the metal because Bravo. I have no knowledge of it. <laughs> So, Joe, I, I, it's, it's been a testimony. You have, you're now moving into your fourth home in four years. And you... Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, your house, you, you were in a house, it burned down. You were in a temporary house that you then moved into the house that you bought. And you sold that house to your, your son-in-law and daughter. 
who recently got married, not, not all that long ago, but a while ago. And by the way, I'm not holding grudges, but I still haven't been invited to the wedding. Yeah, I'm not holding a grudge against it. But, but hey, actually, you know what we should do? Let, let's hear a word from your son-in-law on marriage and, and his wisdom on marriage. Shall we? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Yeah, it's been it's been challenging, but it's it's yeah. good. I feel like it feel like it's already been forever. It's only been sixteen days, so So after sixteen days he felt like it was forever. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh should have known that that was gonna get played on this broadcast of the rap report. <laughs> But we love Josh. And, uh, you're, oh, you're, we love Josh. Josh is, I couldn't have asked. Listen, I, if, if, I, if I specified height and weight when I prayed to God for a son-in-law, uh, I'm sure he, God would have gave me that because this young man is exactly who I asked for for my daughter. God gave exactly the man that I asked for my daughter. Well, I, I fully... Man. I fully understand that having just given my daughter away to a very, very godly man, one who I'm so thoroughly impressed with. And I, I, I totally understand the sentiment because I was able to give my daughter away to a man that I am so proud of. And I am honored to call him my son. And uh, I know you have that same, that same, and we bust on, on Josh, but he, uh, he and, and your daughter have bought your house and you're moving. And so congratulations on that. And we hope that they don't kick you out like early, just, you know, they give you time to move <laughs> into your new home. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Hope they'll well, be kind is, to this you. Is, uh, we're out in the country. We're out in the country. This is, this was my wife's desire. So my wife's desire was to live in the country so, uh, so now we've got four acres, uh, and, uh, we're about 15 minutes from the town. So, uh, and it's just beautiful out here and, and just praising God on his kindness, uh, kindness to me that, that, that I should be throttled every day because I'm, uh, a wicked, sinful individual, but, uh, God is, uh, kind and gracious to me and I am overwhelmed at uh, what he's done for me and uh, this this couple whose uh, house burned down um, yeah I encourage everyone to uh, you know please help out you know just a little bit helps you know especially when it comes from a lot of people and um, it, it you they will be blessed uh, and know that it is from God, from for all you people that have, uh, will contribute. So I think that would encourage them and help them in their Christian life, especially since they're brand new. Uh, to me, I was, uh, a little more seasoned in my faith. Uh, but, uh, to a young couple, this could be, you know, uh, pretty devastating, pretty, pretty hard on them. And, uh, yeah. So if you have anything that you can contribute, please do. And I thank you, Joe, for your testimony, for your life. You've been a blessing to us at Striving for Eternity. And we're glad to, I'm glad, personally glad to be able to call you friend. And so folks, think, take, take what Joe said to heart. If you can help out, we appreciate it. Until next week, just remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.